You know the old saying, the cobbler's kids have no shoes? Well, what about in veterinary medicine? Do veterinary professionals own pets, lack the treatment they need and deserve? This week, we're going to talk about what you do when your pet is sick or just needs routine veterinary care in your clinic on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And it's no secret, for decades, perhaps, many people have been attracted to the veterinary profession to work in a vet clinic for care for their own pets. Now, these days, with a surge in demand, COVID restrictions, and just the whole emphasis on what the heck do we do to keep our sanity, sometimes our own pets are pushed to the back of the line. How does that impact you as a professional? What about your attitudes towards your practice? This week, we want to explore all the facets and complications of owning our own pets and the care that they receive or not. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, I'm on my second cup of coffee, which is a big no-no. You oh, know why? What, what's going on with you today? I was you up until midnight watching the University of Georgia clinch the national championship in college football. Thank you very much. Go dogs. Go dogs. Woohoo! Yes, it was quite a remarkable feat. 41 years in the making. I remember being in middle school, or actually we called it junior high back in the day, watching Herschel Walker help them clinch their title. And wow, it's been a long time coming. But viewfinders, if you're part of the bulldog nation out there, go dogs. <laughs> so I'm on my I, second cup sure of coffee. I'm not sure how to follow up with that. I'm go, on my second cup of coffee. Go dogs. Well, good for you. I'm <laughs> always on my second cup of coffee. That's just standard. But um, but for you, it's a lot. But it, I'm glad you are because you're going to have to bring it for today's conversation because this is a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, guys, uh, as an owner, as a manager, you know, uh, as as technicians, you know, as, as just pet parents, uh, we've seen this issue from all sides. And so we want to talk about it because it's being talked about, but probably not as openly as we think it should be. Now, it's fair, viewfinders, if you've listened to us for the past five plus years, we have touched on this briefly at different times. But today we kind of want to go, go a little further and explore it because I think it has impacts on practice productivity, on morale, on self-care, and of course, ultimately, the well-being of our own pets. Sure. Well, I mean, like times they are a changing, right? Like when I was <laughs> right. in clinics and, and when you were in clinics, like it, it wasn't that big a deal. Even on your busiest day, you were just busy and you were like, whoo, that was a doozy. What's up tomorrow? We've now entered a, a completely different time. You know, obviously, with COVID and then with shortages and, and increased pet ownership, where we are literally working every minute of the day that we have. We are are optimizing and efficient, being as efficient as we can. Um, and, and there just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to get the patients taken care of. And I've started to hear this seeping over into the staff pets and causing some problems with staff pets as well as those of us who are not in a clinic but are well connected in the veterinary industry and feel like hey we can get an appointment right 
Yeah, and, and guys, you know, certainly as a, as a lecturer and a, a presenter in veterinary medicine for the past, you know, 25 or so years, I've heard this a lot from managers and owners. And the story kind of goes like this. Oh, we've got this one employee, Becky, who always has a sick cat or a sick dog or a sick something, right? And they're always kind of crowding the schedule. And so there's been that pervasive complaint. But, you know, it really didn't rise to the level that it is today where suddenly now, you know, like in the back in the day, Becky, that was kind of an inconvenience, right? And something sure. you complain about, but it didn't like derail your day. Today, however, I think that when you show up with your cat unannounced, you may just set off a cascade of events that really can spiral out of control quickly. Well, right. And in to, yes, of course. And in, <laughs> in some clinics, you know, we have emergencies and work-ins and things like that. Right. But the underlying thing that's happening on top of like, okay, did my pet get care, is then the emotional impact on the relationship between the veterinarian and the employee who is taking more of their time and kind of messing up their schedule. Right. And, and we almost sometimes take it as a personal affront. Like, so now I'm speaking to the veterinary colleagues out there. So suddenly now, Becky, one of your associates, one of your assistants, one of your veterinary technicians brings in a pet without a schedule, right? So just, not on the schedule, just shows up. And suddenly you go, you know, I don't have time for this. You know, what am I going to have to take my lunch now? I'm not going to get a break. I mean, so we start to take it personally. It's, it's, it's transcended inconvenience into almost a personal affront. I, I mean, Becky, am I stepping out too far with that? But I, that's that's what I'm reading in the in the tea leaves out there. Well, yeah, but like even back it up, right? So there was a time, I think, that it was sort of the compliment. Which doctor did you pick to work on your own yeah, pet? Yeah, good point. Good right? Point. And so then it was sort of like, oh, they never asked me to work on their pet. They must think I'm a bad doctor. Or that's right, their favorite doctor. Right, which causes further division. Right, right. Right. So there was a time where it was like, oh, pick me, pick me. And now it almost feels like avoiding eye contact, please don't pick me. I already have way too much to do and I don't want to have to get further behind or pretend to be nice to you about the fact that I don't want to take care of your cat right now or whatever it is. So it's funny because it seems to me like even the dynamic between the veterinarian and who gets to work on the cat has changed. Right. And, and so, guys, about 20 years ago, uh, my wife, who is our you know, hospital administrator at our main clinic, which at the time we probably had about 36 full-time employees, uh, she recognized this was a problem. The, she recognized the problem was just bringing your cat in without a, an appointment, right? And it could potentially mess up our schedule. So what we wound up doing was in part in, implementing uh, two different days a month where you could bring in your dog or cat or pet uh, for like routine care, even dentistries, right? So like that would be the day and everybody would sign up on a little piece of paper. It wasn't super sophisticated in technology. And, and that would sort of serve to, to defray a lot of this, right? So you didn't get clusters. Now, certainly people brought in a sick cat or a dog, you know, and, 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 you know, but it did help us out a little bit. Becky, have you heard of solutions similar to what we did? Well, I, I think in a perfect world, yes. Like in, in And I know um, at some of the bigger facilities and more progressive facilities, it's exactly what they do, right? Like right. NC State and the universities, and they have employee pet days. But I think kind of part of the benefit of working in that small hometown clinic is just that feeling of like, oh, my pets are going to be important and taken care of, and I have this relationship with the veterinarian. You know, it, it's a sense of um, ease. It's a sense of security that I think is starting to become compromised through the pandemic, through the shortages, and just overall just burnout in general. And Becky, I'll add one thing to that little list of benefits. 
economic. Because I think that, again, as I mentioned in the intro, there was a time, and I think we're quickly eroding this period in our history where, you know, you worked at a vet clinic because you kind of got free vet care, or if you paid for it, it was very little, right? And now today with all the pandemic pressure, I mean, I think that's also going away. In fact, I'm seeing now more and more clinics that offer very little benefits in terms of discounts in care. Are you seeing the same thing? Well, I don't think they are very open about it, right? So I don't, I think that we are running into more IRS standard logistics. Like you said, it used to be you could just go in there and get your stuff done, take the stuff off the shelf, use what you needed. Right. Now everything's inventoried and measured and weighed. So you have to be really careful about it. And then because of IRS, you can only give so much a discount. So you're right. I think that is going away on the higher level, more accountable clinics. But I I think there are a lot of people out there more than happy to pay for their pet, but they have to get them seen. They have to get them taken care of. And I mean, like, I know when it comes to my pets, it's an immediate concern for me. Like, I don't want to go to work and take care of 15 other pets before we finally get blood work on my cat. I want solutions now. And I think in the past it was just sort of uh, unspoken. That's how this works. But I don't think everybody necessarily appreciated it, right? And we've never really, I think, buckled down and put some rules in around it. And it's, you know, I don't know very much about human medicine in the sense of, like, if you're a nurse and your kid's sick, I assume you bring them to work in the doctor sees them and you get what you need. But but do you? So I, I don't know. But I know that I'm hearing more and more frustration. I'm hearing more and more struggle. And I'm hearing more negative conversation around I can't get my pet seen or I feel like I'm bothering the doctors or I feel like they're not doing a good job with my pet. All right. So viewfinders, as we have said countless times, hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times over the past five plus years, this is a topic that you should get ahead of. I think you've maybe said that a few times, Becky, (laughs) because what we're saying is, look, we're hearing this rumbling and it's growing into a crescendo. And before it strikes down your clinic morale, I would encourage you to say, hey, what about like implementing a, a employee pet day? Or what about these hours reserved? Or or how do we handle a pet emergency of our own staff, right? Like just setting down those guardrails today might prevent a real problem in the future. Oh, 100%, right? God forbid we communicate, <laughs> right? Like this is right. literally the underlying problem with all relationships is, is a failure to communicate effectively. And so that's it because it can go both ways. I mean, I've seen staff say, well, like my pet's sick, but I felt bad. I didn't want to bring them in because we're so busy. Um, And so they're neglecting. I've seen, oh, I brought my pet in and no one will see them. And now I'm angry. Like, I think that this is taking a lot of different shapes. And so one, yes, getting in front of that, having clear rules, not leaving it to, to guesstimates, not leaving it to the day to decide who's in the mood and how this is going to look today because that leads to a lot of vulnerability and insecurity because there isn't a a protocol that people understand or know how to follow. And we do already feel, you know, so riddled with guilt in general. Like we're just in a population of people who feel bad in general. Like I I didn't want to create more work. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to ask. But we're also a group who really, you know, love and cherishes our pets and and take care of our pets. And and they're kind of, like you said, our number one. It's very difficult to take care of of other people's pets all day while you're sitting there worrying about your own. Right. And, I mean, you know, guys, empathy is our superpower, but it's also our deepest weakness. And and that's why this becomes such a salient issue in a practice. Because, like Becky said, let's say you bring in your sick pet and suddenly now there's 15 others ahead of you, okay? Okay. 
that time you're distracted, that time you're not focused on those other patients. I mean, you're worried about your sick pet and you're kind of going, wait a second, why aren't we taking, look at my cat over here, you know, she's having trouble breathing or in pain or whatever. So I think that, that you know, honestly, Becky, if you don't take care of your staff's pet first, <laughs> I'm telling you, mm-hmm. your patient care, your other patients, your clients, th- that's going to suffer in my opinion or my experience. Yeah, and I, again, just morale in general, right? right like, right. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm worried because at first I'm worried about my pet. Now I'm worried my pet's not going to be seen, and and I've seen that too, where the end of the day comes and they're like, "Oh crap, I'm so sorry, we never really did right. get to Fluffy, right. did we?" And oh right. no, it's fine. I'll bring him tomorrow. It'll be fine, and the care doesn't happen, and you're left hanging, um, and that's a terrible feeling, right? That and then the and then there's guilt from the vet side. There's you know like so right. this whole thing. If we don't again create a protocol, create an SOP, have some rules around it. So okay, fine. We have this situation where twice a month, you know, routine care. Let's whittle it down, though. What about the emergencies? Like, what about the emergencies on these really busy days? And what about the – I don't want to say entitlement because it's such a negative connotation. But, like, I feel entitled within the practice as an employee that my pet should get the best care and should be a priority. And I don't think I should feel apologetic for that. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. In fact, I would say that is the right answer, you know, because if you don't have that kind of empathy, sympathy, love, caring, compassion for your own pet, I'm going to tell you, no way you can transfer that to the rest of the world. So I, I, this is, again, this is the root of the issue because even if you're, let's say now you're the associate, the owner, the manager, and let's say that Becky brings in her pet and I'm looking at it, it's like, it's no big deal. There's really nothing going on here, but it's a very big deal to Becky. In fact, it was so big that she brought it in that morning, right? And if I kind of ignore it, let me tell you, I'm going to start to drive a wedge in our relationship, her trust of our practice. You know, I mean, again, this resentment builds up. And, and you know, Becky, one of the most, my favorite, I, I love talking about this, but we talk about client shaming and microaggressions. And Becky and I have done some amazing uh, presentations on this topic out there in the real world. So maybe we'll do it again someday. I, I certainly enjoy that very much, uh, lecturing with Becky. But Becky, you know, when we talk about microaggressions, I think now this is starting to become part of the the, the battleground of the clinic. So now the associate doctor is like rolling their eyes going, oh my gosh, seriously, Becky's bringing in her cat again. And Becky's like going, oh my gosh, seriously, guys don't take it seriously with my cat's illness. I mean, right, Becky, I mean, this thing just, just blows up clinics if we're not careful. Well, a hundred percent. Yes. And I want to say like, I'm recognizing this from the past. I am a complete catastrophe of a client. I, I give my pets cancer first and foremost. I sob the second I see Dr. Z. I start to cry. And he he's always like, Becky, let's just try and maybe not cancer and then see. <laughs> he has literally told me to stop giving my pets cancer. And I'm always an Metaphorically, emotional... viewfinders. Metaphorically. Sure, sure. But 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 in my brain, it's very, very real. Um, right, right. Yeah, always, right? So, so, but like... So Dr. Z has to deal with my emotional basket case on top of the, the my my perfectly fine pets by the way it's usually like a skin infection or a UTI. Right. Um right. and and so he's got to deal with a medical situation he has to deal with the fact that I'm a basket case and I don't think I would be any different if I was in the clinic that particular day. When I'm worried enough about my pets to bring them to the vet I'm really worried and I feel a loss of control cuz now I can't handle what's going on with them anymore like up to a certain point, I can provide their care. Up to a certain point, I feel comfortable in my brain saying this is what it is. 
once I'm outside of that, it's very vulnerable. I need my doctors. I need that reassurance. So there's an emotional component. There's a mental component. And there's a medical component. That's a lot to suck out of someone in the middle of a day. Now, luckily, Dr. Zelinsky gets to put a price <laughs> to my emotional suck. <laughs> but if I worked for him, he couldn't. Um, and or, or maybe not necessarily the same. Right. And I would be a basket case in the middle of trying to work in the middle of the day, right? So all like when I think about myself as a client, I wouldn't want me in the clinic in the middle of the day trying to handle that either. And so part of me is like, hey, if you have a, a medical emergency that your pet has to be taken care of, should you be on the floor that day or not? Do you need to call in sick, get your pet taken care of and deal with that? Yeah, and I agree with that. And Becky, again, I'm going to go back one step and talk about the financial burden. And I will tell you, from a manager-owner standpoint, sometimes entering into this calculus of care is how much are they going to be paying, right? I mean, sure. so sometimes they're going, look, I've got a patient out here, a client, who's paying full price, and now Becky wants me to do this for cost or less, right? So I will yeah. tell you that it does as Ugly as that may sound, that's part of the equation of decision-making that a clinic has to go through. So, again, this is why we say get in front of it because you need to have clear boundaries, understand you know what, what costs are going to be, what about payment options. Because, Becky, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I can tell you there are – staff members who will take advantage of like a payment plan and suddenly before you know it they've got a thousand dollars outstanding you know bill and that can also start to weigh on the relationship well so like pause yes there for sure because <laughs> we've talked about that what is yeah. hoarding right? right like is it it could because we have a tendency in our own space to say well i can charge it so it's justifiable right. but is a thousand dollar bill justifiable but then what about your vets who are working, God forbid, production? So right. now I don't want to take care of your pet because I'm not going to get paid to take care right. of your pet. And I'm working production, so I have to literally track every single thing that I do all day. So you you get into the – it's just this funny dynamic of like you can't win for losing because if you don't pick the vet, then you don't think – you don't have confidence in them. If you pick them, you're burdening them in X, Y, and Z way. And as a support staff member, or God forbid, reception or kennel, who doesn't even really get to be the one to administer the care, and they are simply asking, please, please, please take care of my pet. Or at least if I'm a technician, I can pick my dog up and put it on the table in front of you and say, hey, we're doing my dog now, and, and you don't have a choice because I make your plans for the day. <laughs> but right. it's, it's there's a whole entity inside the clinic who is vulnerable and needs this care, and I think it was tolerable and manageable before COVID, but I really think if this isn't something you've got strict protocols and rules and regulations around, you need to start to look at it because with if your clinic is, is overwhelmed and burdened with appointments to the point you can't keep up, your technicians, your veterinarians, they're losing out. Right. And I was talking to a colleague the other day, Becky, and you know, they used she was talking about we've reached the tipping point. And I said, stop right there. You've reached the breaking point, and yeah. that's where we are with our schedule, our short yeah. shortages, you know, of workers and all of employees and all this stuff. So again, adding to the mix, and this is why I I do think it's an issue more today than ever before, simply because of all the things Becky just said. Because again, it's that one little straw that can break your camel's back, so to speak. I hate yeah. that expression actually, but you get what I'm saying. And and that's really where it it can can just really blow apart a, a day for you, if not even for 
further. Becky, one one other thing too is as we kind of you know continue to explore this, I think that you know there's also this sort of belief that if you bring in your cat, now you're a registered veterinary technician, licensed in our state in multiple states. Uh, there seems to be this pervasive belief that well, Becky, you can do all of that stuff. For your pet, but the reality is, many of us don't feel as comfortable working on our own pets as we do on others. Is that fair? Sure, one hundred percent. And 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 it's like I just really need the reassurance. I can probably do it. You're you're absolutely right. But I am going to always work within the the laws. And and I understand that if I own my own pet, there are certain things I can do outside of a, a client's pet. But I have to carry the responsibility of the decisions I make for my own pet. And again, I've been very clear as long as anybody has been listening to this podcast and knows me, I am a mom first when it comes to my own pets. I have literally no idea what's happening to them. And so I want the reassurance because I've made the wrong call before with my own pets, you know, and it's gone badly. So I'm there for the reassurance. I look at my veterinarian and I'm like, hey, I'm not a veterinarian for a reason. I need your diagnosis. I need your prescription. Sure, I can do the care. But I don't want to. There's a reason we aren't supposed to operate on our own kids. There's a reason we're not supposed to take, you know, care of our family members because right. there's an emotional element to it that's just very difficult. And we throw all of that out the window, right? If I go into the clinic and, um, you know, I, I want to do blood draw and I want to take the dog to the back instead of um, doing it in the room. And I say, all, all of those things I tell the owner, I throw out the window when I'm <laughs> right. out here, right? Oh, they can be more reactive. Oh, we don't want them to make a negative association with you, you know? And like, out of my way, it's my pet. I'm doing all of the things, you know? So we really are, have a double standard and it is it's it works to our favor. But I think now we've hit this kind of tipping point where instead of it being like fun and okay and not a big deal, it's really carrying a burden, an emotional burden on both sides that we aren't necessarily maybe talking about that could, I think, affect patient care. Right. And the other part of this, too, guys, in all seriousness, is I'm pretty sure that my pets are just committed to making me look like a fraud in front of my staff because yeah. I can say, oh, my gosh, they're really bad for their nail trim or they're really hard to get blood from or whatever. And, of course, as soon as someone else picks them up and takes them away, they're perfect angels, right? Yeah. So there is an element of, like, you know, if you want to get blood on your own cat, your cat is probably going to say, uh-uh, not going to happen today, whereas they may act very differently in the hands and arms of a colleague. So, I mean, there is that part of it. But more importantly, Becky, I love what you said. It's, it's just the fact that there is an emotional intersection here that we really need to avoid because that that little bit of space, you know, that that a colleague can give when they're looking at your dog and they're saying, Becky, it's not cancer. It's a skin infection. You know, that is worth so much. Oh, yeah. Dr. Zelensky's words. Let's try Simplicef instead of chemotherapy first. <laughs> right, and just right. See how that goes. <laughs> and that's great. You know, and again, I, I feel OK. I feel safe. Right. Like I'm like, oh, I can be a total client and a burden because I'm paying him for me to be a total client and a burden here. And that's what this is supposed to be. Um, but if I was his employee, I would I would probably act differently about it. It would be it would be harder. But but yeah, and 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 I want that separation, right? Like I don't want him to have to respect me as a veterinary technician. I want him to dread me as a pet owner. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Because right. I'm not there to be his veterinary technician. I'm there to be my dog's mom, and that will always be a hundred percent advocating, a hundred percent loving, a hundred percent caring, everything that I can possibly do for my pet with my knowledge, not to cater to my veterinary clinic. So this brings up a separate conversation to me with you is do do we even should we be in our own clinics? Should we have to make appointments and come in and be seen as clients? You know, 
those of us that are not in our own clinics anymore are experiencing these backups and the difficulty of being seen as well. So now this burden is kind of seeped out to where our relationships are being affected. So maybe if I call Dr. Zelinsky, I, ex- I expect him to be able to sneak me in because he's my friend and we've had lunch and whatever, right, whatever. Right. And he has to like get by on his day. So I uh, recently, a veterinary technician, a friend of mine, it was time for her pet to be euthanized. She couldn't find a veterinarian to do it, uh, even though those personal connections were there. And obviously, that brings up some feelings. Like, I've given my life to this profession. I have these relationships that are supposed to count for something. And now I can't get my pet the care that they need in the urgent fashion that they need it. And I think that's bringing a whole nother kind of parallel conversation of, okay, we have this problem within the clinic that we can address, that we can work on, that we can create SOPs around. But then there's this higher level group of individuals who have who have maybe um, prof- become, worked, become out of clinic professionals right. who still really count on in-clinic services who can't get in. Right. Well, two issues you bring up there, Becky. One is the, the first question you brought up was, should we even be seeing our own pets, right? So if I work at veterinary clinic A, should I take my pets to A or should I find another veterinary service provider? And, you know, Becky, I, I got to tell you, there was an always an unwritten rule in my clinics that you didn't take your pets somewhere else. And look, that may be ego driven, but it just sure. didn't seem right because I actually had that happen on multiple occasions throughout my career where some uh, an employee of another hospital would bring their pet to me yeah. and and they would be like, okay, we got to keep this on the DL, right? I mean, yeah. you know, so, yeah. But, but you know, you were always like, huh, woo, okay, that that's weird. So I do think that that we should take care of our own whenever possible. Now, obviously, if I refer you for specialty care, which of course happened multiple times throughout yeah. my career, that's a whole different issue. But, you know, by and large, if your your pet has a skin infection or even cancer, you know, I want to see it first and then we'll go from there. That's sort of my first thing there. Um, the second thing, though, you bring up is a more interesting question. That is what happens when you leave the profession or you leave a practice? And, and, and yeah, you're right. We're all finding, you know, struggles to do it. You know, you're like, wow, I, I worked there for 20 years and now they won't even take my text anymore. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, I am pained by the deluge of prior clients that continue to text me today. And I just have to really, you know, step back. And and now, obviously, I will be honest with you, Becky, when my old uh, staff text me, call me, direct message me on Facebook or whatever, and please don't do the Facebook thing because I just ignore most of that. Um, but, you know, I do respond. But, you know, Becky, it's it's harder and harder to kind of make that time, make that space. And, and I think you're right. The reality is now if you're if you stepped out of practice and you're suddenly going like, hey, yeah, can you guys work me in this afternoon? They're like, uh-uh, maybe in a week. Yeah, and that's that's it feels personal then, right? Right, a little and bit. it's and it's not personal, but right, it feels personal, and you're like, what? Yeah, and and, and there's this like it's so it's so difficult because. Um, Again, I think it weighs on that personal burden. Like we we talk all the time about put up your boundaries, keep them there, but don't put them up at me. <laughs> you right. know, break that boundary down if my pet needs care. Um, my Daisy girl, you know, she's yeah. having weakness in the back end. Um, I'll give her a shout out, Dr. Amy White with Earthworks Veterinary Mobile Veterinary Services. She does chiropractic acupuncture. 
Um, brilliant doctor I used to work with at the ER. I called her last week. She will see me on February the 2nd. Wow. <laughs> and my wow. dog is down. I have since got her a custom wheelchair. We're doing all kinds of physical therapy at home, but li- literally cannot get acupuncture chiropractic care from this person who I consider a very dear friend for a month. And I have no problem with that. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. just put me on your cancellation list. And literally, I will meet her at the grocery store if she can get her in. Um, but I think that is going to weigh on us. Like you said, it's harder to answer those text messages. It's harder to take the time and meanwhile maintain the boundaries that we talk about so very much. And so I think there's multiple layers to the burden that happens because I don't think we even think about if you are in that clinic and you are dealing with your Dr. Smith or whoever, maybe Dr. Smith is also talking to three or four other parents and three or four other former colleagues and, uh, you know, has a consult that they used to work with asking about them. And so I think we're really getting overloaded in this space and need to, and we need to figure it out. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny too, that you mentioned that about, you know, setting healthy boundaries, actually adhering to them, even when it comes to people like you needing, you know, chiropractic care for your, for your dog. You know, Becky, when I was starting my first clinic, you know, and, and I started mine just after I graduated 14 months and um, I had luckily established sort of a network of older veterinarians who served as my mentors for many, many years. And, and many of them ha- have passed on now, but, you know, they, their words and, and thoughts uh, stuck with me. And one of the, I'll tell you, one of the things that when I first started my clinic, um, an older veterinarian told me, you know, Ernie, the secret to success in veterinary practice is always being available. And that was the mentality, right? That was the boomer mentality. It was like, you know, hey, always on, 24-7, you need me, here I am. And, and my Generation X, we, we had to follow that for a long time. I mean, you know, I wore that beeper till I still have PTSD when that tone beeps off, right? Yeah. Um, but then we kind of, once we sort of came into our own, we said, whoa, this is nuts. I'm going to kill myself, right? I mean, not literally, but l- literally like die from the unhealthy, you know, lifestyle that it creates. And so I think that that's where we're also shifting, right? So now we've kind of passed those learnings on to the millennials who are now starting to rise and and leadership. And so I think that's where these boundaries, right, Becky, it's so complicated within our profession. I mean, just think about it. One generation removed, the, the prevailing wisdom was, you want to be a success, always be available. And then suddenly we're going, uh, it'll be a month before I can see you for acupuncture or chiropractic care. What a yeah. shift, right? That's a, a sea change. 100%. And I, I will say this. I think, uh, you know, just using Dr. Amy for an example, she is a receptionist. I didn't get her on the phone. And I didn't call her personal phone. I called her clinic. And I kept it through her clinic. And her receptionist does not care to tell me Dr. Amy can't see me until the second because her receptionist cares about Dr. Amy's well-being. And so I think that is something we can also look to do is that it's like if it needs to get taken care of, it needs to go through someone else than the actual veterinarian who will have to say yes or no directly. And I think that's something we can do to support ourselves and support each other. And and we were ta- and in talking about those boundaries, if it is a, a way that is difficult, you know, it's can you find a buffer to create that process that keeps you from having to say yes or no in the moment. That being said, I've also run into situations where when you use that buffer, the veterinarian will say like, well, why didn't you tell me? Like, if, you know, Amy may easily come to the house and say, well, why didn't you call me directly? If I knew it was you, right. I could have done this. Right. Right. So it creates a double standard that I think is interesting, but it's a boundary I want to respect of hers and not call her directly. I don't call Dr. Zelinsky. I call his clinic. Like, 
I don't ring that beeper. Wow. Yeah, and I love that, establishing boundaries. Well, viewfinders, you know, obviously this is another one of those talks that, you know, we think there's some obvious solutions or at least some steps you can take to help mitigate the challenges. But what do you think out there? Are you seeing this as an issue? Is this popping up in your practice? And do you think that we should be talking about it? Again, I think that we've given you several quick, easy steps, including maybe doing an SOP on it, you know, setting some boundaries, maybe creating employee pet days, you know, when you can and, and payment, you know, understandings. I mean, there's a lot of simple things things that you should have in place today, but we'd really like to hear what you think about it. And is this a problem or is this just something that, that we've conflated because that's what we do? <laughs> I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. And more importantly, if, are you, what are your solutions? What are yeah. you doing? Like help us figure this out for each other. Let's crowdsource the answer um, because it's an important one. We love your pets um, and probably more than we love you and we want to take good care of them. <laughs> so uh, we want to find the solution. You know where to find us. You can hit us up on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram, at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can tweet at us, at Vet Viewfinder, and shoot us an email, uh, veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. Until next week, talk to you soon. Go dogs. Woohoo! Hey, can you see my pet rope? A couple questions about my pet. Exactly. Bye, guys.